Hi and welcome to episode 47 of The Courageous Mama. We are nearly at one year. I've got a funny story to start the week off with. We have a Chinese neighbour whose name is Yu. He's a top neighbour. If you could rate neighbours, he'd be 10 out of 10. Early this morning, my husband had to move the car off the driveway because we've got some builders coming in. So he popped it on the road opposite Yu's house. Unfortunately, Yu reversed straight out of his driveway into our car. So I went to let Con know. Charlie had seen it out of the window too. So I said to Con, unfortunately, you bumped the car. No, I didn't, he said. Yeah, added Charlie, you bumped the car. I saw it out the window. I definitely didn't, said Con. No, no, you didn't bump the car. You did. By this time, Charlie and I were giggling and Con thought it was some sort of wind up. So it took a while to iron out the confusion. And then Charlie tried it on each family member who drives as they came down to breakfast. You bumped the car. No, I don't think I did. <laughs> you bumped the car. Ah, you've got to take the laughs where you can get them, haven't you? This week, I'm going to respond to a few questions and issues that have been commonly coming up. One of the things on many people's minds at the moment is just that difficult balance we have between keeping our boundaries in place and being a loving parent at the same time. You feel like you're always the bad guy. Do you ever feel like that? I know that some of you do. It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? We have a blackboard in our kitchen and it usually has a sage expression on it, something meaningful to chew on. And at the moment, it just says this, stand strong, love well. And I've been sharing it with people as we chat through the challenges of being the boundary setter and not wanting to lose our relationship with our children. It's been particularly relevant lately because parents have had to take on that extra task of being the teacher too, or if not the teacher, at least the one pressing them to the grindstone as they go through their school day. And it can feel at the end of the day that you've just been marking the boundaries all day long. You're just one big killjoy. When our children are very small, they repair easily. It's not long before they've crawled back on your lap after you've had to restrain them from something. As they get older, it's quite common for parents to begin to clock that this relationship isn't a given anymore. They can withdraw it from me. It becomes more uncomfortable to disappoint them. You can feel like the relationship is at stake. Their response becomes more impassioned and we can think, oh, it's just easier to give in to them or have a showdown than just to stand strong. So what does it mean to stand strong? It means that we can be gentle and strong at the same time. Our words can be soft and loving, but our boundaries can be immovable. One of the surefire ways to undermine a child is to shift the boundaries around, depending on your mood and your strength. They press them because they want to know they're safe. It's their job and it's ours to cement them in. As long as they're age appropriate, and well thought through. If your 10 year old's bedtime is still 6.30, it could be time for a rethink. But equally, if your 10 year old's bedtime is fast and loose because you haven't got the fight in you at the end of the day, that's very confusing for them now. And the message that they'll be getting for later for those teen years when the stakes go up is this, push hard enough and parents will budge. And that message shifts across to push hard enough and everyone will budge which they then take on to their other relationships. And it's not a healthy way to relate to people as life goes on. If I push you hard enough, 
you'll move. So I'm going to speak to those of you who feel like you're always the bad guy. And if it's not you, then just come along for the ride because one day you might be feeling it. The first thing I want to say is you're not the bad guy. You're the kind guy. You're the one who puts your child above your own relational needs. You're the one who gives them what they need above what they want. You're solid. You're consistent. You're dependable. And just to reassure you, whilst children do a very good job of threatening the relationship when they don't get their own way, actually having consistent boundaries is not what causes real breakdown of relationships between parents and children. They recover from being disappointed by screen time coming to an end, by limits on bedtime, behaviour, language and so on. You're building their resistance to disappointment. You're developing their self-control. And believe it or not, you're developing their self-esteem. And if that's what you need to hang on to in your boundary moments, hold it well. I'm developing their self-esteem because you really are. Remember childbirth? What if the midwife had said, oh, this looks like a bit of a toughie. Why don't we leave it in there? You'd find that ridiculous, wouldn't you? And so it is with the boundary lines. When your child is pushing back, you're re-establishing the boundary line. You're loving well. You're not trashing the relationship. So often we see love in terms of giving, whether that's time, attention, cuddles, gifts, hot chocolate, homemade cake. But love is also being their self-control when they can't. Think about the long game, not the moment that you're in. Think about their character, not your need for harmony in that moment. And know this, they don't hate you. They hate the boundary line. They just know that if they can persuade you that they hate you or that you're unlovable in that moment, they've got a better chance at winning the battle. And then you're into the scary territory of who's running this house. And that gets harder and harder to turn around as they get older. And in those clash moments, avoid explaining yourself or explaining the boundary. They're seeing red, they cannot absorb reason. Frontal lobe shut down, amygdala on fire. Let them know only that you understand how hard this is for them right now. Be present, but don't get in the pit. Have a one-liner at the ready. I'm ready to chat when we're both calm. But it's not fair, you always, why can't I? I'm ready to chat when we're both calmer. I am calm. I'm ready to chat when we're both calm and then we can talk about this. And then just leave it there. You don't have to leave them, but leave the conversation. So just to reassure you, you're not going to lose their love because you fight for what they need. You're far more likely to break the relationship if you get in the pit and slug it out or if you shift the boundary lines around depending on your mood. Stand strong. My book is divided into two sections, soft love and strong love. All of the soft love is in light blue and all of the strong love is in dark blue. And we need both of these forms of love in order for our children to connect, to attach healthily and to grow strong. Now, of course, love isn't really divided in two, but I notice that sometimes when it comes to the harder part of parenting, parents call it tough love. I just think it's strong love. Boundaries, 
consequences, being consistent in the face of their disappointment, staying calm when they're not, they all require strength. And I go through them in some detail in the book with some fun stories of our own to illustrate that because of course we've been through it all. It's not theory, that's for sure, and actually we're still going through it. It's not idealism, it's real life. And of course, it's not just our own children we've been parenting over the years. There are lots of stories in there. So it's widely tested by us and by my clients. But soft love is important too. Now soft love and strong love require time. And strong love, we give time because we come against the issue in that moment. But soft love is something that quite often needs to be scheduled in, doesn't it? And time is a scarce commodity out of lockdown. But in lockdown, it can all feel quite intense, can't it? And if that's how it feels for you, I feel you. We've got six kids here and not all our own and just about every level of education happening. So spending time with each child is definitely a juggle. And I know that like me, many of you work and some of you work full time. So when I say this next part, I don't say it lightly. But if there's any way that you can spend a little bit of time individually with each child throughout the week, it's a great counterbalance to strong love. I found that in the more intense seasons, I can do that in shorter bursts. We can't go off for the whole afternoon, but we can play a card game. We can do a bit of a puzzle. We can go to the end of the garden. I can have a cup of tea and they can have a drink. On the weekend, we can have a cooked breakfast. Just the two of us at the end of the garden. In fact, we've set up a little cafe at the shed at the end of the garden. But anywhere in the garden does if it's not raining. It's just a change of scene. You can stay a little bit longer at bedtime. Well, you can have a pamper evening with one of them or with all of them at the weekend. We did that recently and even my boys went for the face packs and the foot massages. Five minutes here and there goes a long way to counterbalancing what's expected of you in the stronger moments. So that's stand strong and love well. So here's another question. I've been asked this in various different forms and guises, but I'm going to read you this one. My child puts everything in negative terms. Why can't I have? Why don't you? How come he gets to? And the whole tone and language says, it's not fair, before she's even worked out whether she can have, whether I will do, and if it's even unfair. Beautifully put. Well, I really get that. First of all, I would say, work on one goal at a time and make that thing the thing that you're working on because it's too exhausting to be character building in all of the different areas at once. So choose something, make it your goal, and once you've hardwired that in, that'll just become a natural part of family life and you can move on to the next thing. But if this is your current area for growth, great, let's crack it. I think what's helpful for this is using the three C's, chat, chance, consequence, or you might say communicate, chance, consequence. So let them know in a calm moment, just have a little bit of a moment with them and when they're not frustrated and you're not in a flashpoint and just say that you've noticed that they use negative questions when they've got a need and all needs are important and that you want to help them with their need but the negative question can be very exhausting for you. So give them some examples but try very hard not to mimic them for special effect and let them know that these sentences are hard on your ears it drains you and it makes it less easy for you to give them what they feel they need. Tell them that you want to help them and give them an opener. 
call it a good question as opposed to a complaining question. It's helpful to label it because in the flashpoint you're going to need these labels. And also it can stop you from labelling them or using words like whinging or whining. So it's a complaining question or a good question. And then give them that good starter. Please may I? Or could I? May I? Can we? Take your pick. Keep it simple and just stick to one. And then get them to say it and say, yeah, that's a good opener. That helps me to know there's a good question coming. Let them know it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily always say yes, but it means that you can concentrate on the question because it's not draining. That's the chat. Now for the chance. So they come to you and say, how come I can't have? And you say, sounds like you need to use your good question. Well, why does he get one and I don't? Would you like me to help you to remember your good question? More times than not, I find parents see a really quick turnaround on this one. But if you find that they don't want to change their tone, you can't make them. And this is where we lean on that wonderful expression that you've heard me use before and you'll hear me use again. I manage me, you manage you. So you can't force their narrative, but you can manage yourself. So let them know, I'm ready to listen to you when you use your good question. And if that's not working and they don't want to use their good question and they're really pushing back, then it's time for the third C. So we've done chat, we've given them a chance, it's time for a consequence. And just let them know, I find this complaining draining, so I need a minute to recover. And set the timer on the clock for one minute on your phone, on your oven, wherever there's a timer. And if you haven't got a timer and you don't want to get one, just clock the clock. Say, I need a minute. They may well make that minute living hell, but you're not managing that. You're managing you. You're getting on, you're not leaving the room, you're just getting on, you're doing your thing and you're not paying any ear to what's going on. And this is a good moment for you to just remind yourself, I'm not looking for an instant fix. I'm looking to help them to develop a good habit for the long term. This is the long game. But believe me, if you do this a few times and you don't give in, you'll find they'll very quickly learn how to ask a good question. That minute drives them potty. You're not trying to drive them potty, you're just managing you. So that's the second one for today. So this is the third one. I want to help some of you out there who've been asking home ed questions. I've been asked quite a few of those by parents and one that's come up particularly lately is English. People are finding it draining watching their children push their pencil through their English, whether they're writing a book review or an essay or trying to be creative. Some of you may know that we've been home educating for nearly 20 years and so I'm not claiming to be an expert but I am claiming I've got a long history of experience. In fact one of mine has turned out to be a teacher. How's that for irony? So I just want to speak in to that English at the moment and I'm not trying to encourage that you rebel against whatever programme your school has set but what I would say is that if you need to change tack, if you need a breather, one of the greatest things that you can do for your child's literacy is to read to them. Pick up something that they wouldn't read to themselves and read it to them instead for as long as you've got the breath to. I pick one definite hour a week where I read to one of my children, but if we've had a season where they found English hard, I will just do it instead of English on a daily basis. My child who's a teacher says that he's noticed 
that the IQ of a child, their general ability in all subjects, is commensurate with their reading age. Reading to them is underestimated. It's fantastic. So pick something like, with the little ones, we picked the original version of Peter Pan. I'm sure you can download it. It's brilliant. And we underline in pencil the tricky words and we either go through them at that moment or we say, we'll come back to that later. And we write them all down in a little book and we look up the meanings. Or if they're too young, I put the meanings next to them for them. And with Peter Pan, you will literally have three or four words a page. Here's a few that we picked up. Flex, stout, remnant, utterance, bewilderment, frenzied, fathom. That one's a homophone. And then, of course, I learned too. Perfidious, phlegmatic, dictionary out, lots to learn in there. It stretches them, it broadens them just by listening. We're on to My Family and Other Animals at the moment by Gerald Darrell. And if your kids love nature, this book is incredible. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. There aren't many books that can make a 12-year-old and a 50-something cry with laughter. And we've even tackled some of the abridged versions of Shakespeare. And believe me, you do not need to be a literary genius to read these to your children. They're just fun and you can learn together. Children love nothing more than knowing that you're on the same journey that they are. So much of the English that they do is gearing towards a test, an exam, a benchmark. Reading books for the sheer joy of it, no comprehension test, no high expectation, just snuggling up on the sofa and reading something that they might not tackle themselves is fruitful, I promise you. And if your child is a kinesthetic learner, let them do a puzzle or play with some Lego whilst you're reading to them. And what about the writing? Children are so full of creative imagination, but it gets stifled because the writing down is boring. In fact, it can rob them of the desire to create. I think all children are creative. I just think it gets drained out of them. So here's a couple of ways to encourage those colorful thoughts to come out. Number one is for you to be the scribe. If they're small, do it on a book without lines and you can write as they speak and then they can draw something next to it to accompany each page if they wish. If they're bigger, you can do it on a line piece or you can type it. The point is getting it from that brain that's so full of colour and creativity onto a page somewhere. And then they can feel that they've got the satisfaction of having documented it somewhere. My 22-year-old son's authored works, scribed by me, illustrated by him, are some of his most precious possessions. Another way to help them with writing is to teach them to touch type. We're all a bit bored with home ed, aren't we? So how about just wedging this into the day at some point? Typing.com is free. And if you set them off for five or 10 minutes a day, by Easter, they will be flying, even if they do go back to school. Five minutes a day, believe me, try it. Mine all managed to get up to 50 words per minute pretty quickly, and they don't have any special giftings in that area. When they've done that, their fingers can keep up with their mind. Not to mention the tool that it will be for the screen-based life ahead of them, no matter what profession they choose. No need to send them off into the working world with that clunky, slightly strange-looking two-fingered typing. So if English is feeling a bit dry, move across to filling their minds with good literature and encouraging their creativity. 
So thank you for those questions. It's fun to feel that we're a community, we're communicating together. And I know that for each person who asks a question, there'll be many who find it relevant to them too. I'll pop all this on the blog this week and you can send it to a friend and do ping this podcast to a friend as well. I know that when people share it, people love it and it does make it so much easier for people to find us. Pop your questions to me if you'd like to. I'm Madeline Stanny at iCloud.com and you can find me just about everywhere at The Courageous Mama on Instagram, on the podcast, on the blog. And on the blog, you'll find your copy of Parenting for Life reduced to £15 delivered to your door or to the door of a friend. And that way you can get the consequences, the boundaries, the strong love, the soft love. You can find out how to really enhance their sense of belonging and their self-esteem when they're small and when they're bigger. Everything that I chat about and everything that I write in the book is for all age groups of children. They're principles to be applied across all the age groups. And I know that so, so many people have felt the benefit of them. Have a great week and I shall see you 